push on you to pay for what you've done. Fucking, we gotta think smart about that one still. You think I'm gonna do something stupid, cuz? I'm saying if we're gonna do it, we gotta do it properly, innit? Lay them all out in one go. The Shane, Sully, and fucking just, just like what we've done to the Turks. No warning. That means no one makes a move till I say so. Yes, it's Ben Bailey-Smith here. And Sasha Bates. And you've come to that special place where we take your favourite TV characters, try and figure them out therapeutically and subjectively. Chances are you'll learn something too, we hope. Sasha, who are we hearing at the top of that show? That was Jamie discussing strategy with Leighton. Jamie is trying to become top boy in the gangs of East London. And it's all part of the uh, hugely popular series called Top Boy, which started life on Channel 4 and was then revived by Netflix to make another three seasons. Um, And the third Netflix season is shooting as we speak and is going to be out in the late summer, early autumn. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, I I think, because it's... (sighs) I don't want to say it's a depressing show, but it's it's kind of regularly heartbreaking. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, but, you know, I was immediately excited to see it on Channel 4 and disappointed to see it stop. And then the sort of hype around it coming onto Netflix, I was worried that maybe it would be a bit overblown. But actually, this sort of new first season slash third season actually comes in packing a serious punch and lots of it is sort of fantastical stuff but i think what i love about it is despite it being written and created by a a white northern irish guy you can tell they must have been so open to the cast tweaking their lines to make them sound like east londoners would sound of that area and i think that's what i enjoy the most you know how people have a, a, a real issue with people starting sentences with the word so? Mm. I definitely do. But in the ends, like in Top Boy, people often start a sentence with the word fucking. So they say <laughs> fucking. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm just there in it. So it's so nice to hear like natural speaking tones in a, in, in a drama like this and it not being uh, too cringy. What did you make of it? Because, uh, you know, like I say, it sort of got me down quite a, quite a lot, despite mm. being riveting television. Yeah, I mean, it's a hard watch. It's really bleak at times and you really get a sense of just what they're all up against and how tough life can be. And it could so easily have become stereotypical, but mm. um, it's not at all because you see the poverty and the bleakness and the violence. They're just trying to survive, really. But you also see the tenderness. You see the other side of it. You see the love and the affection and the kindness. And I really like that contrast. And I think that what's interesting is that we've looked at things like Succession and White Lotus, and we've seen how um, money certainly doesn't buy you happiness or decent mental health. But this shows you that just having love and understanding isn't enough if you've got no way of getting any money either. It's not like they're all living in some idyll because they haven't got the problems <laughs> of the super rich. They've got huge bloody problems. Mm. And you can really see why they're pushed in, in into making money in the only way that there is open to them. Yeah. And, you know, looking at Jamie, which we'll obviously do in a lot more detail, I think he's one of the reasons it, it is able to avoid certain tedious tropes and, and stereotypes because... Within his household, you can see choices that are available mm. to young black men. And 
it does boil down to choice, even when the environment is against you. So we see his brother, yeah. Aaron, who who is just focused from the start and he's determined not to end up in the way that so many of his friends and peers and, and even family members mm-hmm. have done or are doing. So it's quite nice to see there's a choice and not all black boys in, in Hackney are <laughs> the same, regardless of growing up in the same household. So What gives Aaron a choice is because Jamie is able to bring home the money. <laughs> Which is, again, <laughs> a very questionable moral uh, sort of quandary, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but then you see Ats, who's the other young lad, who's got a really loving mum, but she's illegal and she loses her job and she's got no money. And so mm. Atz, is, Atz has no choice. He would love to stay in school. He was held up at the parents' evening. He was held up by the teacher as this sort of shining example. And Jamie actually says to Steph, you know, be more Atz. And then, you know, Atz hasn't got hope because he's going to have to move out of London because his mum can't get a job because she's got no legal status. Yeah. So they don't all have choices, which is just a horrific kind of indictment of our society, really. But yeah, when they do, I mean, Aaron is such a, you know, fabulous role model for Steph. Yeah, unbelievable the way that they uh, managed to cram in all these different elements of of the the black experience. So stay locked in because we're going to explore what it's like to be parentified too young, why some people are drawn to being in gangs and whether the world of Top Boy is really true to life. And obviously there's going to be adult themes and strong language. We kicked it off in the very first clip. So watch out for that. And we'll be your trusty spoilators and despoilers as we delve into the show in detail to figure out what's going on with our chosen characters. So hold tight, strap in, it's Shrink the Box. All right, so Top Boy recap. We're following the lives of residents of the fictional Summerhouse Estate in Hackney in northeast London as they jostle for power and position in this lucrative drug trade around the estate and beyond. Uh, and, and the series begins with the return of the anti-heroes, Duchesne, played by Ashley Walters. He's coming back from his exile in Jamaica. And Sully, played by Kano, Kane Robinson, who has uh, just been released from prison. And both of them are eager to reclaim their former thrones as drug kingpins. But in their absence, Jamie Tavell, played by Michael Ward, who's a young and ruthless dealer, is making his own bid for power at the same time as being the primary carer for his two younger brothers. It's just the three of them in the house. So Jamie, Sash, what can you tell us about him? Um, Well, Jamie's 22. He is the Guardian 2 and breadwinner for his two younger brothers, Aaron and Stefan, after the death of their parents. Both their parents died from cancer four years before, within days of each other. I mean, horrific, really, leaving Jamie, who was only 18 at the time, to bring up both, both the younger lads. And Jamie does that by dealing drugs with his childhood friend, Kit. They are part of the London Fields gang. But when the leader of that gang, Modi, goes to prison, Jamie spots an opportunity to move up to really kind of take control of the gang. Fill that power vacuum. Mm. And you sense that it comes out of his sort of practical smarts rather than, you know, a desire to be, I don't know, a malevolent, presence who just wants to see everything burn Mm. but then as as he develops I think we see a bit more conflict come in because of the choices that he feels like he has to make but it doesn't feel like he's a quotes unquote baddie like bad person no not at all I mean he really feels like he's trying to do his best for for his brothers 
but he is quite ruthless even mm. within that. I mean, I, I think you're right. He doesn't seem malevolent. But when he spots the opportunity, I mean, he doesn't seem to have any qualms about mm. killing the Turks really kind of brutally. I mean, he locks them in a basement and then sets fire to them. So there's no way out. I mean, it's quite horrific. So he's clearly got a, a really ruthless streak when he spots that opportunity. But yeah, he's really smart. He's really clever. He's not intimidated by the thought of going out and finding new suppliers. And yeah, he just goes for it and he he wants to he wants to be the top boy mm. and his his weakness if he has one is perhaps his his arrogance i guess because he does he does give the impression that he's smarter than everybody else is his challenges mm. and he'll he'll work out the way to get to the top that will be basically unassailable like no one's going to be able to challenge him mm. which is always a dangerous uh way of thinking in that kind of underground world and then at the same time he opens his front door, steps in, and he is kind of a whole different person in terms of this this nurturing side of him, which he has to have. And check this out. I'd be in it. Yeah, man. Just he's an everything. How's it going with her? Yeah, it's calm, it's calm. Using protection. What? What you don't want, yeah, is for Abby to turn around and say, yo, look, Aaron, I miss my reds. Hey, yo, this is nasty, man. Bro, it's not nasty, it's called parent. It's called being a good dad. <laughs> you ain't my dad, bro. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Listen, big man thing. See me, I'm your father, yeah? I'm your mother, I'm your older brother. Do you understand? <sighs> See, when you're grown up, do you understand? 19. It's not about the years you got, it's about the head you got. You got a little boy's head, Aaron. So when I ask you something, yeah, you answer, innit? <laughs> explicitly saying he's he's playing all three roles. Yeah, um, he is. It's a huge responsibility and he's doing it really well. In many respects, he has been really loving. He's making sure that Aaron gets to university, which is what he wants to do. And he's making sure that Steph does his homework and they all sort of sit and have dinner together. And he's really, really caring, which I guess shows that before their parents died, that they probably did have a really good home life. He's learned that from somewhere. He's learned how to, how to be a good parent. But he has had to really compartmentalise. He's had to have like the world outside and the world inside. He reminds me a tiny bit of Tony Soprano in that way, who's also yeah. really loving dad, who doesn't want his kids to go into the same business that he's in. That's a great comparison as well, because similarly with, with Tony as well, his idea, you can hear in that clip, of what a dad is is supposed to do and the responsibility of that and the hierarchy mm. is is very similar to Tony. It's, it's like, you know, that idea of like, I don't care how old you are, but it is kind of important how old he is because Aaron's got his head screwed on and he's headed in the right direction mm. and he's a young man. Mm. But that doesn't matter because when you're in dad's house, whatever dad says you do and that's exactly what he says to him you do what I tell you mm. in the 2020s it's, it's, a, it's mm. tricky to parent as if it's in the 1950s but as Tony used to always say it might be the, it might be the 2000s out there it's 1950 in here <laughs> <laughs> yeah he kind of keeps control of the two brothers and I think that's you know that the two worlds are separate but there are similarities because I think he's decided that in order to be the dad and the mom and the older brother he has to be in control and I think he then thinks oh, well if I'm in control at home I can be in control out there. And it justifies whatever I'm doing out there. Yeah. Exactly. I've got to do this. I've got to be there for them. They've lost their mum and their dad. So I've got to be those things. And I think it does give him a sort of a grandiosity in mm. a way that he doesn't really have the maturity to follow through on. He thinks he does, but I think he's 
overreached himself a little bit. Absolutely. And a lot of these boys, Tony Soprano, I would include in this, had a sort of arrested development mm. because of situations that happened to them. Yeah. And then they grow into this criminal world and they are physically a, a, a man, age-wise they're a man, but there's, there's an unresolved child in there that's making these big man, so-called big man decisions. Exactly. So that, that clip we just heard was Top Boy Season 1, Episode 4, is entitled uh, Bonfire Night, starring Michael Ward as Jamie and Hope Ipoku Jr. as Aaron, created and written by Ronan Bennett. This one was also written by Daniel West. We'll give you full credits for the clips used at the end of this podcast. So, Sash, the loss of his parents back-to-back within days... And it's only four years before, and then poor little Steph would have been very small. It, like, all three of them, obviously, it would have had a profound effect. But Jamie in particular, do you think straight away he thought, right, I'm the boss? Or I mean, obviously, it's speculation, mm. but I'm, I'm wondering if he, there's still some residual anger in him over like from this grief grief can make you feel very powerless and we've seen that in a few of our other clients in in fact what can happen when you feel like oh my god i'm the last line of defense now if you let yourself go down that route of thinking how powerless you are you would be completely overwhelmed by the scale of what you had in front of you so you kind of find this defense to say, okay, right, no, I'm not going to think about all the things that could go wrong. I'm just going to say, yeah, I've got this. I can do it. I can be the man of the house. And he shut down all kind of ideas that, that that would make him feel crushed by the scale of the job in front of him. So I think he has just shut the door on, on that. But as, again, I've said several times with grief, just because you're not manifesting it and looking like you're still grieving, it's still kind of like running, running the show behind the scenes. And I think he will be probably hugely angry that he's lost both parents, which is really unfair and wanting to sort of take it out on society a, a little bit. But I think probably it's also powering him to kind of think, right, nothing's going to hurt me again. I'm going to make sure I'm the top boy. I'm not going to take orders from anybody. So I think it's probably leading him down that route uh, despite himself, subconsciously, he's probably being powered on by the feelings of injustice and right shit. I better stand up. I better. I better be up to this job. Yeah, I think he. I think he works hard to hide any sort of apparent weaknesses. Obviously, it's not easy for a for a young guy like that who isn't technically a parent to be maternal. But we do see a bit of that with him and, you know, and, and, and Steph, like put, putting his little brother to bed and taking him to school, getting, getting him to do his homework, the pride that he feels in him, you know, um, uh, parents evening and stuff. You see, a, you see a bit of that, but that's about as close as you get to seeing Jamie present publicly as anything other than like mm. iron. Yeah. And, and like you say, so much of that must have to come from, that force from that that tragedy pushing him on and firing him up to to be this uh, you know um, unbreakable powerful guy mm. which you know as we all know eventually that's that's going to take its toll there's yeah. a, there's a, there's a clip here we should listen to where this is um on the anniversary of the parents death the three mm. brothers get together I got one, the parents in me. Set geography. Well, that's cool, man. Yo, Stefan was born at one o'clock in the morning, you know. 
10 o'clock, mum rang dad, told him to come pick her up. So we all went down to the hospital. Mum couldn't wait to get out of there. August 26th, my birthday. Yeah. So we come here to this garden, sat on this bench. I was looking at a new baby. Me. And this lady, like an older lady, walked past, but then she came over. She was like to mum, how's that baby? Mum said he was born this morning. The lady started busting out, she couldn't believe it. She said back in her day, you'd have to spend, what, two weeks in hospital before you could come out? Mum was so strong. Yeah, now I'm deep in it. She weren't ever ill. Never even had a cold. Dad, too. He was strong. He was a real man. When he spoke, everyone listened. Yeah, man. That's why we come here, innit? On their birthdays. Happy birthday, Mum. Happy birthday, Mum. so sweet and sad and they have only got each other really they've got it feels like Jamie's got nowhere to turn because it's almost like he's shut down the thought of outside help I don't know if the, I mean we don't know any of this but you would imagine that people probably would have there would yeah, have been a threat of taking have... the kids away or yeah um, so he had to he had to step up and I think he has become quite isolated and, and lonely because of that um, he doesn't really have anywhere I don't think I mean nobody he's become the parent but he's got no parents to turn to so he's making it up as he goes along a little bit but he's clearly doing a good job I mean Steph always wants him to like come and kiss him goodnight before he goes to sleep no matter how late he is so he is he's he's doing well but he's 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 being asked to do something that's sort of beyond his pay grade a little bit and he's missed out on the the teenage years that he's trying to give Aaron really I mean where where was the person being able to tell him to be you know take yeah. to have protection when he goes out with the girl and he doesn't really even have the chance to do that he kind of skips out those teenage years and I think I think that means that he's sort of got developmentally arrested in those years somehow, because re the, something that really defines teenagerdom is a sense of recklessness, of not knowing your limitations. Right. And I think that's what ends up tripping him up, really. Yeah, and we get a sense of that as he starts to build this idea in his head that sort of, why not me? Mm. Why not me? Yeah, You know, I, 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 I'm smarter than these guys. I'm younger. I've got more energy. You can start to see this... Uh, misplaced confidence perhaps like take over his thinking you can really hear it um right here in this confrontation come to me so you think i'm here to get your permission to shop food you're here to get mine what you ain't noticed things have changed you're not dealing with a mandem no more you're dealing with the zts zts what's that rubber duckies and bubble bath ZTs stand for zero tolerance for any other gang, for anyone else shot in on the streets. And you'll work for me. And that's your only option. I've had a long fucking day, bro. Let me give you a piece of advice. Do what the fuck I'm telling you to do. You won't get hurt. You can make some money. Do you know the last person that said that to me? 
I'll tell you, except I can't pronounce them Turkish names. You want to sell food, you sell my food. You don't sell nothing at all. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Ballsy, mm. ballsy, and 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 a, a direct threat there because obviously the word on the street is that these Turks got killed. He's letting Duchesne, who he's talking to in that clip, know exactly what happens to people who cross him or try and threaten him or try and even boss him about. I mean, Duchesne is making him, in street terms, an offer that keeps him safe and makes him money. Mm. And he's throwing that back in his in his face and threatening him with with violence in the other direction, which is pretty ballsy when you think Duchesne is well known in this area as being a top boy. He's 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 been in exile, but he's back. His reputation precedes him. And Jamie's just going straight for the king. Mm. He's a pawn going straight for the king, which is always risky. I remember the first time I watched this, I thought, how much does he believe? In his own head. I know he's saying it, mm. but does he really believe he can blast his way to the top? Well, I think in a way he does. And I think that shows his immaturity. He thinks he's invincible. He thinks he's unassailable. And he just hasn't got the maturity that Duchesne has of knowing that actually it's the art of the compromise. It's the art of the possible. Yeah, Duchesne's probably seen Jamie's before. A lot of Jamie's come and go, right? And at one point, much later bright. on, he says, I was you. He said, I like mm. that you dream big. And I used to be like you but he's learned that actually just powering on through if you don't take people along with you it's going to ultimately backfire which is is what happens and I think in that clip and several other times along the way Jamie actually makes himself really quite unlikable. I mean, he sounds like an arrogant little shit there. Um, <laughs> he kind of is. Well, he is. And again, that's the immaturity. And it's rare that, you know, we ever have a character that I feel like, oh, I really don't like you. I don't want you to do well. But in those moments when he's putting on this big I am, I actually found myself quite disliking him until yeah, you same. have to remind yourself, yeah, but this he is a kid. He's got too much responsibility. He's, he's in way over his head. Um, and all he can do is toughen it out. And it is a facade, but I don't think he knows it's a facade. I think he's had to become it to the point that he's convinced himself that, mm. yeah, I can do anything. Because if he doesn't convince himself that I can do anything, he has to let in the thought of, shit, what if I can't? And then yeah. what? Then what's going to happen to Aaron and, and Steph? So I can't let myself go down that route. I have to convince me as much as everyone else. So you always have to kind of like remind yourself as a therapist, yeah, but why are they acting like that? Mm. And it's because he's really scared. If I don't step up, these kids have got no one and you know as we come to see that is sort of what happens that he does overreach himself and and the and it's the younger ones that that pay the price what top boy i think does well in that respect is it it does show you how alone you can be with those issues mm. like there's probably a time in everyone's life on the street where they think i, I would love for someone to help me out of this mm. but they can't say that out loud so even when they're they're lying there bleeding to death on the street, they might think, I would really love an ambulance right now, but then I'm going to have to talk to the police. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's even when your life is at stake, you're still thinking, I'll try and work this out on my own. Mm. And if you if we like go like worlds apart to say like my world where I'm just some, you know, bumbling middle class podcast presenter, I'll still have issues that 
100% would really benefit from outside help. But I'll go, like a lot of people go, I'll work it out mm. on my own, mm. you know, because I don't want to bother anybody. Or So it's like, it's a different energy, but the same kind of that human thing of like, I, I, I don't want to show vulnerability. I'll work it out, you know. Mm. Um, but yeah, you can see how it leads to tragedy when the, the, your environment is the same as these boys. Uh, all right. Fucking right then. Boom. All right, fam. So after the break here, man's going to find out why gang life can still, even though it's a mazas, it can still appeal to, to the youngers. You know what I'm saying? And uh, <clears throat> we're going to give our opinion on the veracity of the top boy world. And, um, and we're also going to try and work out what we think eventually leads to Jamie's downfall. So we'll be right back after these messages, unless you subscribe to The Take, of course, in which case this show will be absolutely gloriously ad-free. This show is supported by BetterHelp. Uh, now, sometimes you're carrying a weight on your shoulders, but you can't find the right way to open up about it and maybe offload a bit to others. If we keep things bottled up, it can really affect us in a bad way. And therapy is a safe and anonymous place to air whatever's been troubling you. And I know this personally, it always feels better just to speak your truth. It, it, honestly, you genuinely feel lighter and the moan can tell you all about feeling light or heavy. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, suited to your schedule. Fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash shrink the box today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash shrink the box. Hello, it's William and Jordan here from Help, I Sexted My Boss. And next Tuesday, our show at the London Palladium will be streamed live into cinemas. So if you want an evening full of laughs and outrageous problems and dilemmas, then come along and join us on the big screen. Help, I Sexted My Boss live is showing everywhere and everyone's welcome. Go to sexedmyboss.com slash cinema to get your tickets now. That's sexedmyboss.com slash cinema. we are back living with the constant threat of danger just the idea of this terrifies me so like how does jamie how does jamie do it you know you've got the big things like you know you could be you could be killed you could like have an acid attack on you i mean it's really horrible or like you say you could be kind of um ostracized from from the group which um is equally terrifying mm. but then you know they're also living in a very structurally racist society so you've got the smaller kind of like everyday stuff that's kind of attacking your sense of self-worth i think if you're in that sort of an environment then anyone who feels constantly threatened is going to be stuck in some version of a survival response which generally tends to be either the fight or flight response mm. and we saw with Wendy Bird from Ozark last week that her go-to was flight she was always on the brink of like fleeing she had clearly had a, a difficult childhood that meant that she was constantly alert these guys tend to be much more on the brink of fight always mm. they go down that route 
And so they're always hypervigilant. They're always expecting the threat. And if you're kind of like hypervigilant to it and you're always primed and ready, you're going to start to see it even when it's not there because you're so finely tuned. So it becomes this awful vicious circle where even when there isn't an actual threat, you're so expecting it that it's almost like you see it. And then, you know, you can be more, even more aggressive, which I think is also fueling some of Jamie. I'm going to like get out there before anyone comes at me. I'm going to get out there and make sure that, you know, I'm the top boy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's interesting because just just as you were saying that last bit there, I was reminded of um, a job I did once. I was working in uh, for Southwark Council as sort of like a rehab program for um, young offenders, specifically who've been involved in, in knife crime. The chances of you being stabbed just skyrocketed just from carrying a knife yeah. and not carrying a that's knife. That's the, the difference in carrying a knife and not carrying a knife. Yeah. So that sounds, when you hear that fact straight away, you think, yeah, of course, because there's a guy carrying a knife, they fight, that he's going to have a knife, he's going to be in a knife fight. But I, I don't mean that. If you if you think about the statistic in, in another way, it, it spoke to me on how it changes your mentality, mm. right? So I remember, again, <laughs> ridiculous non-street related analogy. When I first started to learn to drive, I started noticing learner drivers all the time. I started clocking the way people drive their cars and how they would like cut across when they're, uh, the lane when they're turning right or fail to indicate or all these things. I just never would have even noticed before. Similarly, when I when I had a baby, I started noticing buggies, strollers everywhere. You know, you just you see this like you see a different level to reality. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, when you've got that knife in your pocket already, your heart's your heart's racing, it's beating. You know. Um, you, you, like you say, you're you're, you're hyper vigilant. Yeah, and there's something called emotional contagion where we do kind of like respond to other people's mm. um, the state of their nervous system. So if somebody is already kind of like primed and ready to kind of attack if they need to, that's going to make you think, right? Well, I need to be on the ready to uh, to attack. So yeah, you're absolutely right. You're gonna there's going to be so much more um, almost like confirmation bias of this person is out to get me mm. because that's what you're worried about, and so you see it coming at you. Um, and then I suppose there's an extra thing with Jamie in that he's you know we've established he's not like this big grown man he's still very he's still very young but he's had more experience than some of the as they call them the youngers running around with the, with their little knives and stuff he must also be aware that acts of violence that he commits or his his people commit sends a message mm. as well. Yeah. Don't fuck with me. I am dangerous. Yeah. You know. It just keeps um, escalating. Yeah, yeah. Because he and all the others, you know, are constantly in this sort of permanent state of like ready to ready to fight. There's no counterbalance. And I think that's why he's attracted to to Lizzie, who is the his supplier. Who's... Yeah, I was just going to say, because like, I wonder if there's a link mm. with, with Lizzie, because he obviously he's lost his mum young. He's not in a... <laughs> It's not in a very feminine world, is he? It's not not like he's hanging with loads of really cool girls all the time or has loads of like female role models around him. He's he's literally got nothing. He feels very lonely and isolated because he's taking on board all this responsibility, but he's got no one to take it to. And I think Lizzie in many ways represents that sort of role model or mentor figure. Plus he's attracted to her. 
you kind of think, oh, well, maybe she's a maternal figure, but she's not very maternal. I think no. she's more p- paternal in a way because she sort of like teaches him how to like kneecap somebody. And <laughs> she's clearly grown up in this really also very violent situation. I think she talks at some point about one of her brothers was killed and one was kneecapped. So she's learned, you know, also show no weakness. And it's almost like he's looking to her to be his, his role model. And what I think is really sad is that if he allowed himself to like step back a bit Duchesne could be that mentor and well model but he doesn't he wants to go up against Duchesne he kind of like it's almost like a bit of antler bashing going on there it's like I'm not going to give give way until the end but Lizzie's you know she's a high up gangster basically yeah Yeah, she's badass and and (laughs) he's there thinking I don't know what he's thinking but he does appear to want the relationship in inverted commas to go somewhere where she's very much like what the fuck are you talking about yeah that was just a shag yeah 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 she's treating him very sort of dismissively and she says at one point because he keeps saying oh can we just talk and she's like look i'm not your girlfriend i'm not talking to you about my husband you're good at two things i mean she's really dismissive she says you're good at two things selling drugs and this this meaning sex and she says stick to what you're good at i mean it's really dismissive so i was thinking about that whether that sort of dismissal also is fueling him to think right i'm going to show you i i can be you know a more of a man less of a boy but later when she meets duchene she says oh jamie's just a kid so clearly she can see that he's not the man that he thinks Mm. he is but it's really interesting as well i think that the whole show is called top boy because for all of them there's this kind of like even if they're not literally trying to become the top boy of the gang they're trying to find some self-respect find some self-worth like you say you know they could be dying on the floor but their self-respect or their notion of wanting to be on top I'm not going to call an ambulance because I'm not going to show any weakness even if it could save my life it's really sad yeah I might have died but at least I was never a snitch yeah yeah which you know leads me to kind of like wonder what it is deep within these kids that draws them into the gang life obviously we know there's there's these environmental factors but I mean because we are who we are and this show is what it is we should try and have a look at the psychological aspect, you know, what's, what's going on emotionally for these boys and girls. There's, there's, you know, there's, there's a worrying number of girls who are getting into gangs as well. Now, like I say, from my own personal experience of working in that world, uh, there was one message that kept coming back around, which was about family. Mm. And it was, it was about uh, feeling protected, mm-hmm. you know, and the language that these boys were using I don't think they were using it in an analogous way. They 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 were they were saying quite literally it's like protection. These guys are like my brothers. But I was taking it very metaphorically as well, you know. Yeah. I mean I don't know I don't know what you you make of that, but Yeah, well a lot of their language is kind of around family stuff, isn't it? It's like they call each other fam and yeah, brav yeah. and cuz and blood and mm-hmm. it, it does feel like they they are creating a counterbalance to all of that fear that we were just talking about, all of that sense of, you know, always having to be hyper alert because the threat could come at you at any time. So yeah, you've got to find a counterbalance by thinking, yeah, okay, no, I've got a family and loyalty is so important, particularly with Duchesne and Sully a lot. They talk a lot about loyalty and there's all sorts of instances like with Jack and her sister where her loyalty is really she's tested. Oh Jack, my God, she's she? amazing. Probably and my she, fave. She comes up against this thing where she has to choose between her own 
biological sister and the family that Duchesne's head of because her sister has inadvertently led to some of the weaknesses in the gang. And Jack chooses to go and tell Duchesne and to tell on her, her sister because mm. she feels more loyalty to the gang than she does to her own sister. I mean, yeah. she does then do, do her best to also save her sister from the inevitable retribution. But she's she's like, no, you're my family. I'm going to tell you what, what, what my actual biological sister has done. Yeah. And right at the top, actually, thinking about it, Duchesne and, and Sully are very much like brothers, aren't they, mm. in the way that they... Uh, spar with each other and the way they talk to each other they've got mm. this whole sort of lifetime together you really get the sense that they knew each other in primary school and everything yeah. like that they do sort of war of words with each other a lot like mm. a lot like brothers would and jack taking this uh, sort of family of gangs one step further we we do see her doing a bit of child catching essentially like getting the next generation getting some new younger siblings from yeah. the street and grooming them into yeah it. yeah i mean and that's that really sad storyline about at the young oh, lad God, who yeah. was so you know such a sweet boy and he was really good at school and at whatever age he is i don't know he looks about 12 or something mm. he has to step up in order to stay stay with his friends and, you know, with tragic, tragic consequences. But you kind of see that it is really hard for some of them to, that they don't have options, which is why I think it's so admirable that Jamie, despite the way he does it, he so wants to give Aaron and Steph different options yeah. and to be able to go to university and, and be good at school and, and find a way out so they don't have to do what he does. But you sense that he's gradually losing Aaron's respect. Yeah, to the point where you feel it's almost inevitable he could he could dump a, a suitcase full of money at Aaron's feet and and, mm. and Aaron might not think mm. twice because it's it's sort of gone beyond that. It's quite interesting contrast again with Wendy Bird in Ozark that we talked about last week because we, we chatted about um, the wisdom or not of the birds telling their kids that they were drug oh, yeah. launderers yeah. and how for their family that felt like, you know, quite a good option. Whereas Jamie with his compartmentalisation, he doesn't want them to know what he does and you can kind of see the, the scales gradually falling from their eyes, both Aaron and Steph as they kind of think, how is he making us money? And and Steph starts to get really frightened and say, is he going to be arrested? And how does ja how does Jamie make his money? And it's really sad. And you can kind of see that actually the not telling them anything isn't really an option either. Because when they do find out, they find out brutally by a nighttime raid on on their on their flat yeah, by horrendous. being dragged off to prison. And it's like, oh my God, it's like the curtain really falls down in front of the Wizard of Oz there. It's like, oh no, this is this is the the upshot of it. So uh, you know, every 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 kind of dude who wants to be a drug kingpin is going to have their downfall or their comeuppance at, at, at some stage. And you, you've identified compartmentalizing as as one of uh, Jamie's Achilles heels. Um, I don't know if you can have more. Can you have more than one Achilles heel? Maybe but you got two, you got you got two heels. <laughs> two heels. Yeah. <laughs> Has he got any others? Like what, what are his main weaknesses? I guess. 
Well, I think the the sort of the arrogance and the grandiosity that we talked about that mm. can sort of have both negative and positive traits. That, yeah, I mean, posi- in that world, definitely. Yeah. Well, the, the on the positive side, it means that he is ambitious and he does do well and he he does kind of you know rise up the ranks. But the negative side is that he he doesn't really know when to stop. And I think again, the contrast with Duchesne, who's I don't know, I think he's about fourteen years older. He says at some point to Sully, you know, I've learned what I did wrong last time. And it's I didn't keep my friends close and I didn't trust and wasn't loyal to the people that that I was surrounded with. Mm. And in fact, the thing that enables Duchesne to really bring Jamie down is he gets the CCTV footage of the the flat. And he gets that because he says to the guy that um, installed it, he says, come on, we go back a long way. You know me. Jamie's not loyal. He's got and Jamie isn't loyal to Mm. anybody. Mm. He's got his brothers and he's got his friend kids but he hasn't got those relationships he hasn't understood that you need to nurture relationships and you have to compromise and you have to negotiate and you have to give something back Jamie just thinks he can just take it all that's the irony of the title isn't it like if you're going to be top boy you better understand Mm. what being the top dog actually means yeah and it's not just mindless violence and taking what you want no all the relationships that he hasn't built are so crucial you got to have good Mm. relationships in all the different underground worlds Mm. so that they think oh yeah he's an asshole but he helps us all make money or whatever it might be yeah and they can trust him yeah yeah Uh, and he's never bothered to do that so yeah i suppose that's another another big hole in in Jamie's plans. Yeah, I mean, he believes his own hype. He Mm. believes he can do it on his own. Mm. And, you know, I think, you know, the common theme that we talk about in almost every episode is nobody can do it on their own. Everybody needs the people around them, even if the people around them are (laughs) are, are gangsters. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, there is, you know, a code, as we saw with Jack and and her sister and even with Sully and Duchesne, they go back a long way and there is a code there and a a, a trust of, of sorts. Well, I, I have to say, it's, it does almost feel nice to return to the world of of, of killers and and drug dealers and <laughs> full time criminals. It felt like we've been messing around in the world of of, of real life comedy uh, situations for, <laughs> for, for for too long. Um, great stuff. All right, thanks guys for all your emails this week um, and character suggestions and 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 all the lovely words you send into us at shrinkthebox at sonymusic.com. So keep them coming. This one is from Katie, who says she's loving the show from down here in sunny Queensland. Um, I'm always another Australian. Yeah. Listen, I like being big in Australia. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. It's just uh, it's amazing how many we get. Um, I'm always up for TV, movie discussion podcasts and uh, for this one I've even listened to a few episodes for shows I've not yet seen that's risky mm. it's a risky move because we do spoil the shit out of everything I'm <laughs> sure The Sopranos and Better Call Saul are brilliant I'm just not sure I'll ever get around to them oh you gotta get around to those but I did watch and re-watch Mad Men after it completely finished so you never know so I, I can't get my head around this Katie you re-watched Mad Men and yet you haven't watched The Sopranos Mad Men can't exist without The Sopranos almost literally yeah. because half the people that wrote Mad Men made their names writing The Sopranos um, she says um, my requests which may or may not have been mentioned before are Kami from The Bear oh mm-hmm. yes yes On you're in radar. luck you're in luck Katie because we're definitely going to do Kami in a few weeks uh, and, and she says any major character from The Americans Mm-hmm. Which is that a show that's been mentioned before that I still haven't got around to. I need to check that out. Thanks for that, Katie. So, guys, yeah, keep telling us what you think uh, and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your pods to get new episodes. And um, send links to your friends 
you know, you know use to get them to use the subscribe button because the more listeners that we have, the longer we can keep going. And if you want to listen to us without the ads, just subscribe to Extra Takes. Your subscription is going to get you ad-free episodes of this show, plus ad-free episodes from Kermode and Mayo's Take, which also includes bonus episodes, extended bits of the star interviews and all of that. So you can start your free trial right now by clicking Try Free at the top of the Shrink the Box page on Apple Podcasts or by visiting extratakes.com. Thank you, as always, to our production team. Uh, production management is Lily Hambly. Assistant producer is Marnie Woodmead. Social media is Jonathan Imieri. The studio engineer is Matthias Torres Sole and the mix engineer is John Scott. The senior producer is Selena Reem and exec producer is Simon Poole. Shrink the Box is a Sony Music Entertainment production. Now, Sasha, it's drum roll time. Who have we got on the couch next week? Well, take a listen. I've noticed you're pretending to masturbate and I was wondering if you wanted to talk about it. I wish my mum was a sex guru. So, why don't you start by telling me your earliest memory of your scrotum? Trust me, you don't. No, I love you so bad. This is a new frontier, my sexually repressed friend. Our chance to finally move up the social food chain. I'm worried about you, man. Everybody's either thinking about shagging, about to shag, or actually shagging. Students at the school need your help and we need their money. I'll deal with the business end of things and you can do the therapy. Therapy? Yeah, sex therapy. Like your mum. Ah, sex therapist? This could be awesome. We could be popular. I might have a mild to moderate crush on me. I'm addicted to wanking. My pubes are out of control. I wish I could be a normal kid with a normal dad, with a normal dick. for the best two years of our lives. Let me get you some condoms. Oh, thanks, Mum. Wow. You're excited okay. to watch? <laughs> I am. You know what? I'm I'm excited because this is the first time in a long time that there's a show that I've not seen yet that I'm going to have to cram up on for, mm. for this episode. I've, I've never watched one episode, but I'm, I've, I've been told it is hilarious and, it is, um, and it is sex education. I don't think we've actually even said that it is sex education. Sex education. <laughs> and I, like I said, I don't know any of the characters. So who, who are we going to be looking at? Well, I thought we could do Maeve Wiley okay. because she's not dissimilar to Jamie in many ways because she's also been parentified too early. She's also living alone at far too early an age. I mean, she hasn't got younger siblings to look after, but she is having to make her own way without any parents. She's having to like find her route. I mean, luckily, it's not via kind of killing and and drugs, but it is via setting up a sex therapy business. And you see through that that all of these kids have their own issues. A lot of them are to do with their parents. And so because of that, we can look at all the kids around her who have their own problems. So yeah, Otis, whose mum is a sex therapist, but he has his own problems because she's too open about sex. And then you've got Eric, who is gay with a very strict evangelical father and Adam, who's got a very repressed father, a very strict father, who's the headmaster. So each of them have got their own stuff going on. A lot, um, a lot for us to get our teeth There's a into. lot to get into with, with Maeve and, and her cohort. therapy under the microscope for the first time in a long time, maybe since episode one. Yes. Well, actually, that's true. Yeah, yeah. We haven't looked at the role of the therapist in a long time, yeah. um, seeing it portrayed. There must be a lot of sex chat 
Is that, that's probably not the phrase, <laughs> but within your work. I mean, I know you're not a sex therapist. No, I mean, it does come well, up. I mean, it comes up with a lot of clients. As we see with the wonderful Gillian Anderson in, in the role of Otis's mum, sex therapist is a, a specific type of therapy. Mm. I mean, it's a bit like loss it, or, or trauma. It tends to come up in everybody's yeah. therapy at some point yeah, or yeah. another. Not necessarily your area of expertise. It's, though, yeah, it's in, not in my area of expertise. Sure, yeah. sure. Okay. All right. Well, I, I can't wait for that. I'm just excited to take on board a new show. It's a good one. I really enjoyed it. But I mean, I'm not, I don't work with teenagers. So mm. it'll be, I'll be working from a, more theoretical standpoint right. but a bit like as we've seen with today you've got more hands-on experience yeah, because you well, were a okay. youth worker so, so it's your turn next week yeah that's that's the balance of this show that's why oh, that's why i love it fantastic all right i'll see you then then bye Ta-da. All right, it's time to give shout-outs now to the people who made Top Boy. It was written and created by Ronan Bennett. All of these from season one on Netflix. The clip of the top where Leighton, Cola Bikini and Jamie, Michael Ward, are talking strategy. And when Jamie's on the park bench talking to his brothers about their parents' anniversary, those are both episode two, uh, which is called Building Bridges, directed by Reynaldo Marcus Green. And the extract where Jamie's talking to Duchesne, played by Ashley Waters, about who's in charge is from episode five, entitled Smoke Gets in Your Hands, directed by Nia DaCosta. Top Boy was made by Cowboy Films, Dream Crew, Easter Partisan Films and Spring Hill Entertainment. Thanks for listening and see you next week.